This is SCOTUS Talk, a nonpartisan podcast about the Supreme Court for lawyers and non-lawyers alike. Brought to you by SCOTUS Blog. Welcome to SCOTUS Talk. I'm Amy Howe. Thanks for joining us. On April 25th, the Supreme Court will hear oral argument in Kennedy versus Bremerton School District, the case of a high school football coach who lost his job because of his practice of kneeling and praying at midfield after each game. Before oral argument begins, we're bringing you interviews with members of the legal teams on both sides. Later in the episode, I talk with Kelly Shackelford, who heads First Liberty Institute, which represents Coach Kennedy. But first, my interview with Rachel Lazar, the president of Americans United, the organization representing the school district. Rachel, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. So first, can you tell us a little bit about Americans United and talk about how you got involved in this case? Yeah, I'd love to. Americans United for Separation of Church and State has been around for 75 years this year. It's our 75th anniversary. I'm actually its first female and non-Christian leader. I'm Jewish, um, point of interest. And what we do and we have been doing for 75 years is bring together religious and non-religious Americans to fight in the courts, in Congress, and legislatures all across the country and in the public square for everyone's right to live as themselves and believe as they choose. And I should say that we're the only nonprofit that is working exclusively to protect church-state separation, which guarantees religious freedom. The way that we got involved in this case was first below, where we wrote an amicus brief on behalf of the faith community. And I think the faith support for the Bremerton School District in this case is really intriguing and interesting. We not only have the support of the National Council of Churches and the Anti-Defamation League and the Hindu American Foundation and the Black Christian Methodist Episcopal denomination, et cetera, et cetera, but the local Bremerton clergy who are speaking up in this case are all speaking up on the side of the school district. But back to your question of how we got involved in the case. So we did write uh, an amicus brief below on behalf of the faith community. And then uh, the, the district asked us to support them in opposing cert and representing them before the court, the Supreme Court. So your brief in the case on the merits, you talk about this as a pretty straightforward application of the government speech doctrine. So can you outline the doctrine for, mm-hmm. for our listeners who aren't as familiar with it as you are? And then the argument that you make in your brief. So the government speech doctrine says that the government gets to control its own official speech. And controlling its own speech is controlling the speech of employees who are performing government functions. And the first step in the legal assessment is whether the public employee is acting in an official government capacity. Here with Coach Kennedy, there's no ambiguity. The answer should be yes. Any reasonable student or parent would see the coach headed to the 50-yard line immediately following a game where the pep rally or the team huddle usually takes place and engaging in audible prayer with students surrounding him um, as a government official acting in his official capacity. The second step is whether even if a government official isn't acting in their official capacity, whether the school nonetheless has an interest 
in performing its public functions that outweighs the, the public employee's right to, to speech at the, at the time and place that they're demanding it. And here, the answer is again, clearly yes, that Coach Kennedy was acting in a manner and at a time and place where the school district needed to control its own messaging that was sent at its events. Here, the message being sent was that the school was endorsing public prayer. Second, that the school had an interest in protecting the religious freedom of its students. And third, that the school actually had an interest in protecting the safety of its students and cheerleaders and the band. There was actually a ruckus that got created from the divisiveness around this issue. And in the end, folks stormed the field, uh, Band players were knocked over and the varsity head coach even said he was worried about being shot from people in the stand. So if it was, if it's straightforward, why do you think the court decided to hear this case? So the concern here is that the court is buying into the false narrative that's being spun by what's really a shadow network of religious extremists and their lawmaker allies here whose goal is to use this case and this coach as a pawn in a larger agenda. And that larger agenda is to undermine church-state separation and to grant unprecedented religious privilege in the name, perversely, of religious freedom. All right, so you, you've argued, you argue that the midfield prayers where Kennedy is surrounded by students after the game that was Kennedy acting as a coach. And then on the other hand, there was at least one game where Kennedy left the stadium after the game, and then he came back later and prayed at the at midfield by himself after everyone had gone. And that wasn't in his capacity as a coach. So where along the continuum would you draw the line between coach and private citizen? Here's how we would draw the line. If a coach or a teacher is engaging in religious activity in a private and solitary manner such that it's clearly not part of their official duty and students wouldn't feel pressured to join, then it's private. So let me just distinguish something, Amy. So think of um, you know, a coach saying grace before a meal and he's, and he's out with the team. We don't think that students would reasonably believe that that's part of the coach's official duty and that they'd feel pressured to join. And we would distinguish that from a coach who heads directly after a game to the midfield where the team huddles and is expected to encircle the coach for an end of game ritual. So in this case, I guess I want, I can, I see your example, but in this case, sort of, is there a point in which Kennedy crosses over and becomes the private citizen, sort of somewhere between you know, the whistle blows and the game is over and leaves the stadium? There was a period of time where the coach would head back to the 50-yard line like after the students had, had gone into the locker room or something and do his prayers there, and, and that was fine. And, you know, he did that for like a month kind of in the middle before he, his lawyers wrote that he was actually going to insist on praying again at the 50 yard line directly following games with students. 
um, which he then proceeded to do for the big homecoming game. Um, so, you know, there are lots of opportunities for the coach to engage in his religious ritual, even while he's still a coach, um, that would have been fine. And in fact, the record shows that the school district made multiple offers through written letters to accommodate his religious practices. They put forward some options of where he might pray even while he was still on duty, that would be okay. And I think really significantly as well, they offered to meet with him and discuss, like, let's work this out and why don't we talk this through? And these were sincere offers and, and the coach even acknowledged that they were sincere in the record, but he didn't take them up on that offer. He only wanted to pray directly following games. In the end, he only wanted to pray directly following games at the midfield during this time of team huddle, such that the team could join him. So in the petition for certiorari and then in their merits brief, Kennedy has a second question about whether if his prayer is protected private speech, the establishment clause nevertheless compels public schools to prohibit it. Your focus is really on the government speech part of it. But is the establishment clause part of the inquiry sort of baked into your Garcetti analysis in this case? So not exactly. Uh, so like you were saying, if, if Kennedy was acting as a coach under Garcetti, then the school district was entitled to regulate his speech and they don't need the establishment clause, right? That's what Garcetti says. But even if the court doesn't find that he was acting as a coach, which would be really odd, under a case called Pickering versus Board of Education, the school board was entitled to act on all of the legitimate interests that Kennedy's speech created, which included the interests of avoiding an establishment clause violation. So even, and even if the analysis were limited to the establishment clause, which we don't believe it should be, Kennedy's speech presented an establishment clause violation because reasonable observers would have seen Coach Kennedy's prayers as the government endorsing school prayer. And the Establishment Clause forbids allowing such speech. You've alluded to the idea that there are a lot of disputed facts in this case about what the coach wants, what the school district has conceded. How do you expect the court to deal with these contested facts? Our hope would be that they look really hard at page 82 of the joint appendix of the record. And they see that the facts in this case are clear, that there was an audible and public prayer at the 50 yard line with students surrounding the coach. And this happened repeatedly. The facts are so clear that the Ninth Circuit used really strong language for a court when they wrote about the facts in this case. They called Coach Kennedy's story utterly belied by the facts. And Judge Milan Smith Jr., who's a Ninth Circuit George W. Bush appointee, said again at the en banc stage to beware of the, quote, siren song of a deceitful narrative being spun by Kennedy's lawyers. That's, as you know, really uh, unusual language to come from a court. That's how clear the facts of this case are. So this Supreme Court is a Supreme Court that's been pretty sympathetic in recent years to religious liberty claims. 
it's a court with a 6-3 conservative majority, even assuming you have the votes from all three of the liberal justices, where else are you looking for those two votes that you'd need? So for one, you're right. It's true that this court has been sympathetic to what everyone is calling religious liberty claims. Um, if this were a case about personal and private prayer, we really wouldn't be here. In fact, we'd be defending the coach, but it isn't. And we think that the actual record makes clear that Kennedy was seeking to pray with students and that, that he was violating the district's request that he not do so. So we are holding on to hope um, against some odds because the facts of this case, the laws of our country and religious and non-religious Americans alike are all on the side of the school district. So there's one friend of the court brief supporting Kennedy that has advocated for scrapping the endorsement test for determining whether there's a violation of the constitution's establishment clause on the ground that the so-called reasonable observer tests, whether a reasonable observer would think that the government is endorsing a particular religious message has caused too much confusion. What is your reaction to that argument? So they say it's caused too much confusion, but they actually don't cite a single case about instructor prayer in schools and, and with students because that hasn't caused confusion. That is a clear case of, an, of endorsement. But also we don't think that the court needs to reach that question because the coach was speaking as a coach and the district had many reasons that needed to regulate his speech. So you've talked a little bit about some of the accommodations that you, the school district has proposed for, for Coach Kennedy that he's turned down. So those are maybe some middle grounds as a factual or practical matter. Is there a middle ground in this case as a doctrinal or legal matter? I think there's common ground and shared values, which is ultimately we depend on our government being able to control its own speech and act according to our shared values that the government is held to. And we would all agree that the reason we have religious freedom in this country is because there isn't such thing as unbridled free exercise of religion. That as Ruth Bader Ginsburg used to say, your right to swing your fist ends at the tip of the other guy's nose. And that in order for religious freedom to be available for all of us, that we cannot impose as the government one religion on, on others. And that's what's at stake here. Um, it's a pillar of our democracy, Amy, during a time when our democracy is feeling really fragile. So we don't think that, um, that this is, this should be a tough case. We think this should be a case that is easy according to our shared American values. So maybe you could play that out a little bit. Talk a little bit more about what a ruling for the school district would mean and then what a ruling against the school district would mean, sort of the big picture implications. So if we lose this case, it would be a radical departure from decades of well-established law protecting students' religious freedom. 
we think it would open the door that could be kicked in, in particular in this climate where there's a real escalation in uh, religious extremists across our country to allow teachers and coaches to be able to pray again and pressure students to pray in school. For example, would under this sort of false premise that it's personal and private, a teacher be able to recite the Lord's Prayer out loud, quote to themselves as students were entering the classroom at the beginning of a day, right? We'd be turning back the clock to times that that the court has been super clear aren't allowed since the 1960s. And if the school district wins in this case, I think it would demonstrate that the court isn't acting politically, that the court has in mind um, the true meaning of religious freedom, which is that it should operate as the shield that it was intended to be to protect all of us instead of as a sword that allows some of us to impose on others or to cause harm even to other people. So I think it would restore a lot of uh, faith, if you will, in the court at this moment. The last question, I guess it's, it's less of a big picture issue, more of a small picture issue. For people who aren't students of the court, what would you tell them to be watching for, I guess, listening for at the oral argument? Well, for one, I would say to listen hard about how carefully they're scrutinizing this false narrative and how they react to that. I would also want every all of us to be paying attention to whether this court is capable of uh, recognizing and remembering and being empathic around what it's like for students who um, see their coach engaging in activity, a coach who they fear, who they admire, who holds benefits that they desperately want from playtime to college scholarships, and a court who just like Justice Anthony Kennedy used to be so good at laying out in his opinions that who understands that the state also cannot create pressure through public and peer pressure and having sort of some folks from the team join a teacher or a coach such that it would really create pressure for teenagers who are susceptible to this to join in. So I, I would be looking as well for that level of understanding of teenagers and empathy and protectiveness for our students. Rachel Lazar, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Next, we have my interview with Kelly Shackelford, President and CEO of First Liberty Institute. Kelly, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Happy to do it. Can you tell us, first to get started, just tell us a little bit about First Liberty and talk about how you got involved representing Coach Kennedy. Uh, First Liberty is the largest uh, nonprofit legal group in the country that all we do is religious freedom. And uh, so we're that's kind of how we got involved in that people kind of tend to know if there's a big religious freedom issue, they can actually reach out to us. We represent people free of charge. And when Coach Kennedy's situation, he had somebody from his school actually that saw uh, an attorney who had graduated from Bremerton, which is where Coach Kennedy grew up and where he was coaching and where his family, his, his kids, his grandkids are. 
And uh, when this guy saw that, he said, oh, my gosh. And he reached out to us and uh, and connected us with Coach Kennedy because he knew he needed, you know, First Amendment experts or whatever to work with him on the case. And so we started advising him at that point um, and, and trying to help him uh, through the process. We kind of hoped it, it wouldn't end up in litigation. But uh, uh, from early on, uh, the school district uh, refused to ever even meet with us and talk to us about the case. So we just there was no way to rectify it. So that's been seven, almost seven years now then? It has, yeah, almost seven years. It was, it was tough for Coach because his greatest love is these kids. And uh, he knew that when he got to the point where they told him, you know, if, if you go to a knee again or do anything that's, quote, demonstrably religious, you know, you're going to be suspended. And uh, sure enough, he knew that would happen. And uh, that was tough for him. He he. He was giving up kind of his first love, but he's like, you know, what kind of example am I to these kids? Uh, I mean, I, I was a Marine. I fought for these freedoms. If I, I always tell them, you know, he's like, kind of like, if you break an arm, he says, we'll put some dirt, rub some dirt on it and get back in there, you know? And so what would he be like if he was the, the guy who ran as soon as there was a little controversy? So he, he knew what he had to do, but it, it's been tough for him. That's a long time to be away from the kids. So we're going to focus mostly on the legal issues, but before we get into the legal issues, there's a lot of disputed facts in this case about what Coach Kennedy wants, what the school district has conceded, and the school district says that your brief relies on creative remodeling of both the facts and the law. First, you want to address that, and second, how do you expect the court to deal with these contested facts? Well, I don't think it's going to be very problematic. Um, the facts are in the record. They really are clear. What's happening is uh, the this, this school, now that they're at the Supreme Court and have new lawyers, are trying to totally revamp the case. Um, they're, they're going away from the opinion below. And this new approach is to kind of recolor the facts. But the facts really are, if you look in the record, they're clear for all sides. Coach Kennedy uh, saw this movie, Facing the Giants, before he went into coaching. And if anybody's seen the movie, one of the things he committed to do after the movie is he said, well, I'm going to do like that after every game. I'm going to go to the center of the field by myself. I'm going to go to a knee and I'm going to thank God, win or lose, for the privilege of coaching these young men. And that's what he did. After a, a, a while of doing that, some of the students came to him and said, hey, can we go when you go to pray? Can we? And he, his answer was, it's a free country. You do whatever you want that started to build. And then eventually he started to give sort of speeches at the center of the field with both teams on both sides, just saying you gave it all and all this. And, and even some comments in the locker room and things uh, that were religious. And the school came to him and said, you can't do that. And he said, you know what? That's not what I was ever trying to do anyway. Uh, he stopped. Uh, nobody disputes that he stopped. Um, and then at the end, it became well, I just want to go back to doing what I was doing, which is I want to go by myself to a knee. Um, the school said, and this is in their own writing, said, if you do anything that's demonstrably religious, you know, you're in violation and we're going to suspend you. And so that was where we were at the end. So if you look at the last few games, look at the picture. I've got a picture here of, uh, of the last game, for instance, the one that caused the action against him. He's all by himself. He's in the middle of the field. What he did is he figured out that I'll wait until the, the kids sing the school fight song because they'll turn and face the crowd 
And then I don't want to get any kids in trouble. I don't want to do anything. So I'm just going to go to a knee and do my, you know, 15, 20 second prayer. That's what he did. And they suspended him. So there's really not much question about what happened. Now they want to go back and say, well, really, it was about this middle time where he was doing things with, he was praying and players were with him, but that's, he's never asked for that. Uh, they admitted in their own, uh, and it's in the record that that wasn't what this case was about. That's not why they took the action against him. Uh, but they're just trying to recolor things now that we're at the Supreme Court. But again, I think anybody who can look at the record, see their own statements, their own uh, description uh, that they've put with the court uh, is pretty clear. Uh, he was fired because at the end, he went to a knee by himself to say a prayer. And they said that he couldn't do that. And when you say he stopped, I just want to be clear what you're saying he stopped. He stopped giving the post-game speeches? Yeah, he stopped uh, praying with the students in any, in any way. Like uh, there was some stuff that went on the locker room, some other stuff. And he wasn't aware of any of the law or any of that stuff. And so when, when they brought that to his attention, he stopped. Um, and he told him he stopped. And they said he stopped. Um, they even said... Uh, and, and, you know, and I think this is clear in the record everywhere. They specifically said at no time did Coach Kennedy coerce any student with regard to prayer. So they that's one of the admissions they have in the record. So that wasn't the issue. Uh, the issue, and especially at the end, it was very, very clear. He was, again, he had figured out a way to do this. He waited until the kids turned and sang the, the fight song. He wasn't with the kids and he went by himself to a knee. Um, and that's when they fired him because they said, you can't do that. They said, we'll offer you an accommodation. You can walk, you know, across the field, up into the, up the stands, into the press box uh, and do that, which was, you know, would have taken forever to do that. And that, that was their accommodation. But, uh, but they said, if you go to a knee by yourself on the, on the field, which is what he did, uh, we're going to take action. And they suspended him and fired him. And that was the action they fired him for. There were no kids with him. And I got to, a picture right here I can show you of when he was. Uh, I think I have that picture. Yeah. It's what you see is you see coach It's funny in the deposition. Uh, the school district uh, superintendent was like, it had to show him the picture three times to find coach Kennedy. Uh, so he wasn't very sure. And what you'll see is you'll see the other team walking by coach Kennedy uh, off the field. And then you'll see coach Kennedy's players, I mean, gosh, 10, 15 yards. The first player you can find is 15 yards away behind him. They're not even looking in his direction. So it's pretty clear what happened. Um, they just want to make this about Coach Kennedy praying with players when that was never really what he was about. In the middle, it, it became that because they wanted to pray near him and, uh, and he didn't know what the lines were and things. And so, but as soon as that was brought to his attention, he stopped that. And so, when we really had issues is at the end here where they said, if you do anything that's uh, demonstrably religious, you know, that's a violation that anybody can tell. And, uh, and so that's him going to a knee by himself violates that principle that they set out, which is not the law. Um, it would mean that every teacher praying over their meal uh, would be, you could fire them. Uh, you could fire, you know, uh, Jewish teachers for wearing a yarmulke. Um, I mean, people are allowed to be religious in, in, in their own capa personal capacity, and uh, but that's what they fired him for. So for people who aren't familiar, people are, are I think, going to be familiar with the facts of this case. Can you lay out your legal argument? Well, the, the legal argument is pretty, 
pretty clear, pretty simple. Um, if you say you, you as a citizen can speak, but if you say something religious, we're going to fire you. That's a violation of free speech. If you say you can, you can do something, but if you do something religious, we're going to fire you. That's a violation of free exercise. So if Coach Kennedy was on the field picking up a contact that fell out of his eye, no action gets taken against him. But if he's taken a knee to the field to pray, you know, he's gone, he's fired. That's, that's clear religious discrimination. It violates free speech. It violates free exercise. There are a number of older cases now, because what they're trying to argue at this point is, well, you know, but it's an establishment clause violation um, because because he's uh, a, a teacher and he works for the government or a coach and works for the government. But there's a, a whole line of cases that's been out there a while. You go back to Mergen's Good News, a number of the others that say, look, there's a difference between um, religious speech by the government which the constitution prohibits and religious speech by private individuals, whether that be a teacher, a, a student or anybody or a parent, which the constitution, both the free exercise and the free speech clause protects. And everybody knew this was coach's personal expression, his personal religious expression, not the school districts. And so to do that is like, is no different from telling a teacher you're fired for bowing your head over the meal or for wearing a yarmulke or for wearing a cross or a hijab or anything else. You can't, you can't sort of engage in some sort of religious cleansing. Um, the Tinker case going way back says neither teachers nor students uh, relinquish their First Amendment rights at the, at the schoolhouse gate. Uh, so the issue when you look in this area of the establishment clause is, is was there, you know, was the government coercing kids with regard to religion? And they admitted Coach Kennedy never coerced anyone. That was never his goal. He was just trying to pray. But now they're saying role model. And because he's a role model, if students see him praying, um, then that's that's a problem. And that that goes way too far. You're now stripping every government employee of their religious freedom. But where do you draw, I guess, where do you draw the line between who comes to work and is a teacher or a coach or some other school employee is or is not acting as a government employee? How does a teacher or coach know that? How does, how does, how is a court supposed to figure that out? Well, I think number one, I mean, teachers, coaches, they wear two hats, right? They, they wear a, I'm the government hat and they wear a, um, I'm a private, you know, individual, you know, can a, can a teacher decide that in the middle of math class is a great time to lead everybody in the Lord's prayer? No, you know, that would, uh, that would be using their, their position to force other kids, that's going to be a violation of the establishment clause. Does a teacher who everybody knows is praying on their own, is that a violation? No. And if you take the other approach, you end up violating two First Amendment rights, free speech and free exercise. It's a matter of sort of what is the, what is the context? What's the factual scenario? Um, now they're trying to argue things like, well, because he's a role model, that's, you know, well, now you're, you're basically saying nobody can ever be a religious person. What Tinker said many years ago, neither teachers nor students relinquish their First Amendment rights at the schoolhouse gate. You know, a teacher can say in class, you know, this is my opinion about such and such, uh, you know, or like Coach Kennedy to when everybody's milling around all over the place at the 50 yard line after a game to go to a knee for 20 seconds. 
And if people get fired for that, uh, there's really not much left. There, there are no religious ones or free speech rights left of people, certainly not coaches and teachers and people who work uh, for the government in that context. But what is your response? I, you know, I, it seems like it might be particularly hard for students to make the, the distinction about when teachers are and, and are not acting as a government employee. And there's the friend of the court brief by the group of former professional football players. And you have former professional football players as well. But the one that supports the school district argues that because of the special relationship between coaches and players, that even if there weren't any complaints about the post-game prayers, that players would have felt compelled to participate, even if Coach Kennedy didn't mean for them to feel like they had to participate. What's your response to that? Well, let's, all right, we'll do one sort of is this case and one is sort of the theoretical case. Okay. This case, there's just no question, right? I mean, for seven years he did this, there was, there was no issue, right? But all of a sudden when the school made this an issue, it got in the press and this became, you know, a, a, a big battle. Everybody knew, everybody knew that the coach was not representing the school when he was praying. <laughs> in fact, he was in big trouble when he was praying. They knew it was him. It was not the school district. So there's zero confusion on that. But all right, take it if you had different facts and they, they're worried about the, this argument of these uh, former pro football players. Uh, it goes too far. Uh, what they're advocating for would strip away every teacher, every coach of all their religious freedoms. You know, what schools are supposed to be about is educating children and educating them about the First Amendment would be a better uh, way to deal with it than to strip away people's freedoms and take away their First Amendment rights. Um, how hard is it to teach kids that, you know what, we have coaches, we have teachers that go to church, go to synagogue, go to mosque. That isn't, we don't tell them they can't be who they are. Uh, they should never coerce you in anything, but we're not going to strip away their rights because you don't like what they do or you think it might influence somebody. Uh, so that what they're arguing for would sort of create a, you know, it's a religion free zone. It's like a religious cleansing of our schools where religious individuals are not allowed to be religious individuals, no matter how they're acting. So would you think it would be a tougher case if somebody had come to Coach Kennedy and said, I'm worried I'm not going to get playing time if I don't pray. No, it would have just allowed Coach Kennedy to say what he's always said. He would have said, you know, uh, it's not going to make any difference in that. Um, he, he, when they asked him, you know, way back when if they could pray, his answer wasn't, you know, in any way encouraging them to pray. His answer way back then, before he even knew anything about this, was it's a free country. Do what you want. And that's always been his approach. Uh, so so I, I, I don't think it would make any difference. I mean, you, you can always find one person in the school, although they didn't find it here. You could always find one person in the school who complains or says they're confused or doesn't like and then say their parents say it influences them or whatever. But again, that's, you know, that's not how it's sort of like the heckler's veto. We don't work that way in this country. Um, neither teachers nor students relinquish their First Amendment rights at the schoolhouse gate. You have a right to be a Jewish teacher and wear a yarmulke. You have a right to be a Muslim teacher and wear a hijab. Even if, you know, some parents concern that the hijab is going to 
you know, be an influence on some student. If you think there's some confusing message at the school, educate them that this is, this is a beautiful thing that we have diversity, that we have people who are religious and not religious and different religious backgrounds. And we allow them to, to be, you know, their faith and to live out their faith. We don't shut them down uh, as the solution. So what are the limits on your rule? Like, is there a point at which Coach Kennedy's prayer at midfield either becomes too long or, you know, if he starts praying out loud, too loud? You know, I mean, I think that the limit is, is in the law already, which is uh, the coercion. If you have the government using their power to coerce um, people, you know, and it, it could be anybody, it could be, uh, it doesn't have to be students, it could be anybody. If the government is using its power to coerce people either for or against religion, that would be a violation. But it, it, it's, it's real coercion. It's not, um, you know, that I'm upset because somebody else is expressing their religion. Uh, that's not why we shut things down. Uh, and that, that sort of goes the opposite way. And so you ask yourself, is this government doing this or is this, you know, an individual expression? And again, in this case, somewhat because of the controversy that occurred right at the end, there's just no question that everybody knew uh, that this was an individual, Coach Kennedy, just going to a knee by himself. And it wasn't a school district prayer that was being promoted and forced in any way. So in this case, it's really clean and really clear that there's just not an establishment clause issue. Um, so that kind of leaves it open as to, well, it's either everything the coach does is government speech or everything a teacher does is government speech, which is what the Ninth Circuit went with, or you have to go with this other approach of, well, coaches are role models and, and uh, they're an influence. And that's really sort of a wipe religion and, and First Amendment rights out completely for teachers, for coaches, for people who work for the government. So this sets up my next question. I think I, I have a pretty good idea what the answer is. The school district had proposed accommodations for Coach Kennedy that he's turned down. Is there any kind of middle ground, either as a factual, practical matter or as a doctrinal matter? Yeah, I think, I think the middle ground is, is what he did. I mean, he really was accommodating in every way he could be. They asked him to stop a bunch of stuff. He stopped, you know, no more discussion in the locker rooms, no more kids around him praying at the field, or really a lot of times it wasn't prayer, it was more of a speech, stopped all that. And really what he did is he figured out a way to do it where the kids wouldn't be with them. He waited until they sang the fight song. When you look at where this ended, when you look at when the action was taken against him, it was because of the very last prayer, which is him by himself on a knee, silently praying in the middle of people milling all over the place. I just don't see how you can get any better accommodation than that. He, you know, the, the idea that he's supposed to spend 15 minutes trying to get away from the field to go in some sort of press box like like prayer is now some sort of pornography that can only be expressed in private is, is it's unworkable, but it's also very offensive to the first amendment. You know, you can talk to people, you can slap them on the behind at the, at the center of the field. But the one thing you can't do is go to a knee and say a silent prayer for 20 minutes, thanking God for the privilege of coaching the young men that you get to coach. What do you make of the court's decision to hear the case this time? 
we're obviously we're very encouraged because the Ninth Circuit's decision would have been so damaging to the First Amendment. I mean, you know, it would have gone beyond uh, just teachers and coaches, because if you're, quote, on duty as a government official, it means your speech is government speech. That's what they said. And that would mean wherever government you work for, your your free speech rights would just have been gone. Um, so I think that's good that the court took the case. I think their their statement earlier to the earlier cert uh, request by the four uh, justices, this was before Amy Coney Barrett was added to the court. So who knows if it's more than that now. That was encouraging as well. Whenever you lose below, especially at the Ninth Circuit, you like it when the Supreme Court takes the case because the, the odds generally are with you, although we still have a battle ahead. I think this is a victory if we can for everybody. And I think most Americans know it should be okay for a coach to go on a knee after the game for 15 or 20 seconds and thank God for the privilege of coaching the young men they get to coach. I, I, don't, I don't know very many citizens who think that's something we need to stop. Kelly Shackelford, thanks for joining us. Thank you. That's another episode of SCOTUS Talk. Thanks for joining us, and thanks to our production team. Katie Barlow, Eleanor Erskine, Angie Goh, and James Ramoser.